All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 73, the Tyler Toffoli edition of the DFO Rundown. Coming to you live once again from the woodjerseys.com studio and, uh, and fitting. I've got the Seattle Kraken wood jersey behind me and uh, Frank is actually in Seattle. So uh, on the road for uh, episode 73, of course, you're getting set, Frank, for the, uh, the huge season opener on Saturday night in Seattle. And uh, I went online for fun. I was looking like it's obviously sold out. Like tickets on the secondary market were going for like 900 bones for the cheapest one. Yeah, it's crazy. They actually, I saw something pop up the other day. It was a charity auction and it was a thousand per ticket and you'd get, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. What do you get for a thousand bucks? It was, that's the price per ticket. Like, oh, okay. So this is it for charity. I see. So uh, yeah, yeah, I can actually just out my window here to the left, I can see the space needle. And uh, just beyond that, I can see just a small piece of that famous Climate Pledge Arena Roof, uh, a historic structure. It's still, if you haven't read much about the construction of this arena, it's one of the most incredible things I've ever seen in in terms of engineering relating to hockey. They took this huge, massive, uh, you know, historic roof and they essentially lifted it up and put it on concrete stilts. And then they took the old... Climate Pledge Arena used to be Seattle Center, whatever they called it when the Seattle Sonics played there. And they dug down 
120 or 140 feet and then built an entire new $1.6 billion stadium beneath it. And it's also one of the greenest stadiums in the league. I'm actually looking forward to getting a, a tour on Saturday, getting to see a little bit more. And I mean, what a, what a place, you know, just the different little wrinkles that they've added 12,000 plants uh, living inside the arena the rainwater that's collected from the roof, it goes into a cistern, it's filtered, and that's the water that they use to make the ice. So uh, you guys know up in Edmonton, you're, you're known for having the best ice. Well, Rogers Place did not have the best ice for the longest time. The Seattle Kraken have never played on this ice. They did not have any preseason games there. They had a Foo Fighters concert on Wednesday night. Then on Friday night, they've got cold play opening up the building and on saturday night boom the kraken are there for morning skate on saturday morning it's a quick turnaround uh, my guess is the ice is going to be pretty terrible to start uh but i'm looking forward to seeing what they can pull off and what should be a pretty magical home opener yeah we'll get lots more into uh seattle uh later on in the uh pod a few things frank you had tweeted out uh, earlier this week about the jets and you know expected them to have another case and now it's mark shifley uh they're playing with a, they played with 11 forwards and seven defensemen last night and you know that's never ideal but it's shifley and it's wheeler and you know this is one it's just kind of a reminder that you know even though the vast majority of players are um are vaccinated you can still get it and they're just worried about the spread more than anything else with the jets but in your conversations as i've had a few people talk to there there is some concern about you know cancellation of games and, and you know if that happens because last year obviously we saw it with montreal and vancouver and you know and they had pretty brutal schedules because of it uh, what are you hearing because from people i've talked to they don't like they know that obviously they would they would reschedule them but they don't have that buffer planned like they had last year yeah, there's, there's not nearly enough flexibility in the schedule this year, and it's especially complicated being an Olympic year. And so uh, they're going to try and do everything they can to avoid canceling games. Um, you know, these teams are at the ready now. They're, they're, they should have some sort of idea on their positive tests, especially if they need to with some rapid tests in enough time to get some players in. And so uh, there's definitely a level of concern with the Winnipeg Jets at the moment, because even though Mark Shifley was uh, the only player that was added to their COVID protocol list, I'm told that a number of other players had tested positive in their rapid tests on Wednesday. So they were prepared to be missing, you know, more guys than certainly just Shifley. And then their tests ended up additional tests ended up coming back negative. So there's definitely been a little bit of an issue so far this season with some false positives and also some false negatives that have complicated the picture. But, um, you know, the Jets have sort of let it be known within their group that until they get seven days beyond this initial test from Blake Wheeler, that kind of gives everyone in their traveling party enough time for the virus to potentially show itself either symptomatically or asymptomatically in tests that they're all sort of on high alert at the moment. And the protocol itself shifts as well for the NHL you go from vaccinated players being tested once every three days in the normal protocols to when someone you know has a positive test and then another one then you go to every single day in addition to layering in the rapid test so uh, certainly not uh, an easy situation the Jets have also adapted and uh, and, and bounced the media from their uh, their event level 
there's no in-person press conferences. Everything is shifted back to Zoom. I, I, you know, I'm not entirely sure why uh, the media is the first sort of group there. That, that That's not the reason Blake Wheeler tested positive. Um, but the Jets are trying to do everything they can. I think that's a, a message and a signal that they're trying to do everything they can just to keep their team on the ice. Yeah, uh, totally. And it's definitely one to to watch. And it's tough when uh, you lose some of your top players. Vegas is out with some top players just for different reasons. So it's kind of like COVID's almost like an injury uh, in essence for some teams as Shifley and Wheeler out for them. And you got Stone and Pacioretty and Tuck out for Vegas and uh, their offense. We might get into that a little bit later on too, man. They're, the Vegas's depth now three injuries is pretty key, but man, they're, they're second to fourth lines right now are just not uh, very good. But uh, one team that uh, is, is struggling all over and there's, there's lots of focus about the tough start of Montreal, but lots of focus maybe on, on Bergevin. He does not have a contract, Frank, and it seems more and more from everybody that they expect him to not return. So my question is, if, if that's a foregone conclusion, does the organization want him making decisions, not saying he would sabotage anything, but do you want him making decisions if it seems like it's a foregone conclusion that he's not coming back? Well, I don't think that plays into it at all. I, I think one thing that I've learned about this entire situation is how much trust Jeff Molson has in Mark Bergevin. Like I, they have a bond there that's pretty deep. Um, and it, I, I guess it really depends on who you talk to in terms of how that situation is playing out there. Because I've mentioned it on this pod previously, the idea that you know, there were people out there talking in NHL circles saying, going back to the cup final last year, that they thought that that would be Mark Bergevin's last year and he'd walk away, especially if they wanted, just right off into the sunset, deliver a championship uh, in such a, a pressure packed market. And then, you know, you're a hero. You're, you're, you know, you're never buying a meal or a drink in that town ever again. And so that didn't happen. He's back and he's now in the last year of his deal. And, a lot of people took what he said and, and, you know, really interesting scenario too, that he's addressing the media as this team is off to such a tough start. You know, he felt that it was necessary to come out and it's not just the players and the coaches that take the bullets that he is accountable as well. And so I, I commend him for that. And he sort of gave it the whole, well, don't ask me about, you know, I'd really appreciate it if you don't ask me about my contract and my situation. And we all know in the media, that's not how it works. Like anytime <laughs> he makes himself available, he gets what, seven, eight times a year that that happens, that he's going to come out and, and people are going to ask those types of questions. So in one way, it's sort of deflected um, a little bit from, you know, the, the start that his team has had, which has been so ugly. And on the other hand, it also sort of raised some eyebrows is one quote saying that, yes, in a perfect world, I'd like to be back as GM of the Canadians next year. And I guess my first thought, you know, kind of knowing what other people in, around the NHL circles have talked about, as I just shared, is that what else is he going to say? Like, what's he going to say at yeah. that point? No, I, I, I want to move on and do something different. And this is going to be my last year and I'm going to honor my contract. Like he can't say that he needs to step down immediately at that point, just to answer the exact question that you laid out to start the conversation. So um, there's some push and pull. Um, I'm sure that, you know, if he is signing a new deal that he'd like to be fairly compensated, but I, I mean, let's see what happens. I, I don't, uh, I guess in some ways I don't necessarily understand all of the hoopla surrounding it. He's the GM. 
he's under contract and there's lots of people that are in the final year of their deals where there's some speculation and some questions, but like at a certain point, you know, what, what happens on the ice is what matters. Let's get to our big guest. We'll get to some more topics in a sec, but we don't like him to wait. Our big guest today is brought to you by ESPN+. Plus. They've become a must-have for hockey fans. Get access to more than 1,000 out-of-market NHL games and 75 weekly national games all season long. Plus, stream thousands of live events from the best leagues and the biggest tournaments in the world. Exclusive originals, the complete 30 for 30 library, premium articles, fantasy tools, and much, much more. You get it all at ESPN+. Sign up now. Go to ESPNplus.com slash DFO. Hey, I got to tell you, I, I watched just a quick plug for ESPN+. Plus. They have this thing multicast on there. So you can put up four games at once on your screen and toggle the audio back and forth. Me and Come my on. son had a field day watching four games at once the other night. And by the way, we need to talk about this later in the pod, but there is a story, a 30 for 30. I think it's an E60 story that's on the e, the ESPN Plus app. It's called A Love Story. We'll talk about it after. Pat LaFontaine's daughter. Just, I, I cried twice watching. I'm telling you, it's one of the saddest and most uplifting things I've ever seen. So we'll talk about that after. Let's talk to our man Everett. Our next guest is simply known as The Voice. His career started, he's a native of Ann Arbor, Michigan, started in the USHL with the Youngstown Phantoms, also did some Bowling Green State University hockey, worked his way up to the Cincinnati Cyclones of the ECHL, and he was one of the first employees of the Seattle Kraken. Everett Fitzhugh is the Radio play-by-play voice of the Kraken. Everett, welcome to the Daily Face-Off Rundown. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Uh, when, when I hear that resume, man, it's been, it's been a pretty long journey to, to get to this point. <laughs> yes, it has. And, and we're excited to learn about it and, and find out uh, how you got into it and worked yeah. your way up through the ranks. But I got to start here. So as I mentioned, one of the first employees hired by the Kraken, I feel like you know, the franchise was just a few days old. And I'm like, wow, they've already got a radio play-by-play guy. You were in there so early, so soon. Um, so all that excitement and hype, you know, they're building the team up, um, you know, so much passion in the Seattle market. And yeah. all this time goes by and we finally get to when the Kraken are about to play their first games. And you had announced it on Twitter. Our friend Ryan Clark at The Athletic had written about it and you know, you're about to go on this first road trip and you get a positive COVID-19 test and can't go. Uh, just reading about it, my heart was broken for you, knowing all the work that was put in to get to that point. Uh, what have the last couple of weeks been like for you? Yeah, it's um, it, it was definitely something that I don't think you you ever expect to happen, especially when you're fully vaccinated. Uh, I think that was the crazy part for me is, is uh, my wife and I, we've been vaccinated since end of May, fully vaccinated, mid-May, and we both have been on the shelf uh, for the last 10 days. So it was definitely kind of a gut punch, but, you know, luckily we we were able to get someone uh, to to fill in and Ian and Furness here and locally in Seattle. So did a good job of holding the fort down, but yeah, it was, it was definitely something I don't think you ever imagined that's going to happen. You spend the last year really pumping up the team and, and getting everybody excited and, and, and being so involved in this process and then you get a phone call that says uh hey you've got covid 
Um, and, you know, honestly, even in the beginning, it was very much like, you know what? It's only Friday. We'll wait and see. You know, we're not leaving for Vegas until Monday. And, you know, we'll, we'll get things going. So I'm like, all right. So I'm sitting around watching college football all day on Saturday and 6 a.m. Uh, Sunday rolls around. And I get a text message from our training staff that says, yeah, so you got a confirmed uh, test. So you're going to be in quarantine for 10 days. So, um, yeah, it was it was a pretty rough, uh, rough go of it. But, hey, you know, we're back and, and ready to go for Saturday. Yeah, that, I mean, I'm sure you had a serious case of FOMO um, right. just watching the team on that inaugural road trip. But, you know, you're feeling OK. And, and you, as you said, you are good to go for Saturday night's home opener. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm feeling like a million bucks right now. I am ready to go. And uh, my symptoms kind of subsided maybe around Saturday. It got a little dicey there for a second. I'm not going to lie. Uh, my wife and I both actually caught COVID. So it was basically uh, who was the least sick. That was who was going to do the chores around the house and take care of the other one. So a couple of days I was pretty rough and, and she did an awesome job. And other days she was pretty rough and I had to, to step up and, and do the same. So um, but yeah, we're, we're both feeling good. I'm feeling great. And, and I've been back in the office now. Today was my first day back. The team had the day off yesterday, but there's still been so much going on this week. So I'm ready to go and, and I'm back to 100%. Everett, you have a unique journey and, you know, you mentioned uh, listening to, to your intro from Frank, like you're, you're a guy who, who worked his way up, which is like a lot of players, you know, a lot of players, they start out in junior or college and then they go minor pro and then luckily enough to get to the NHL. And for you as a, you know, a play-by-play guy, like there's, you know, there's, there's fewer play-by-play jobs than there is NHL jobs for players, right? Like it's, it's a tough gig to get. Tell me kind of, was, was that always the goal? Like, were you like, Hey, I want to be an NHL play-by-play guy. And that's what I'm working towards. And you know, what, was there ever a time where you're like, you know what, I'm not sure that's going to happen or kind of give me a, a sense of that because it's tough to get an NHL play-by-play gig. It is. It, it really is. And, and for me, I, I think I always knew that I wanted to work in sports. I just didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, when I was a kid growing up, I, I was going to be uh, the late, great Stuart Scott on the Sports Center desk. That was going to be me. Um, I didn't even know that play-by-play was an option uh, as a career until I got to college. I thought you just kind of fell into it by accident. So um, when, I, when I went to Bowling Green, um, a buddy of mine actually dragged me off the couch one day in my dorm, and I went to a student radio organization meeting, um, and I fell in love. I loved everything that I heard. I did some board hopping. I did some intermission and half time hosting for football and basketball and um i got my first uh hockey game actually as a color analyst my freshman year of college um it was january of, of 2007 and i fell in love with with broadcasting with broadcasting hockey and i knew right then and there um that i wanted to be an nhl play-by-play announcer so uh, i was our primary color analyst for three years at bg uh, and then my last two years in school, so I was a fifth year senior. So my, my fourth year in school, my fifth year in school, and then my first year out of school, I did the play-by-play for the varsity team. Uh, and then after that, I went to Chicago for the USHL league office where I was in their communications department, went to Youngstown after a year and a half and stayed in Youngstown for a year uh, doing play-by-play and PR and social and all that other stuff. And uh, after that, I, um, I was in Cincinnati for five years in the ECHL. So it's been, it's been quite the journey, but you know, it's funny you say that Jason, because there were definitely times when, you know, I'm, I'm not going to name some of the cities, but the, you pull into 
you know, a couple of cities for the umpteenth time and you're humping bags at two o'clock in the morning and, and, and hanging gear and, and helping your equipment staff out. And you're happy to do it because it's all hands on deck, but you're like, man, am I ever going to get out of here? Am I ever going to get off the buses? And, and I say that knowing that there are guys out there like John Walton who were in the minors for 12 years. There were guys, um, Dave Mishkin, he was in the minors for a long time. A lot of these broadcasters in the NHL, they paid their dues. Jack Michaels up in Edmonton, uh, he was in the minors for what, 12, 13 years. So I say that only having been at that level for five years in pro and then another couple uh, junior in college, but still, it was, a, it was, there were some times when, when you say to yourself, man, is this worth it? And is it going to pay off? And ultimately it did. And, and ever, you mentioned Stewart's got off the top. And I, and I think it's, it, it's unique that in hockey, cause you know, let's be honest, there's, there's not a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of black play-by-play guys. So, you know, there's yourself now that, you know, there's Kevin Weeks, you, of course, you know, there's many more guys now than there was, but you could be like the Stuart Scott for a lot of young kids. Cause I think it is, it, it, it's really important for, for someone to see whether, you know, whether you're uh, you're black, you're white, you're yellow, it doesn't matter, but to see someone like you in that role, you know, can you kind of take a second to think of how, you know, there's going to be kids in the future here to say, Hey, I want to be the next Everett Fitzhugh. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's definitely something that is, is really, it's interesting and and it's humbling to think about. Um, I actually got into hockey as a hockey fan watching the late 90s, early 2000s Edmonton Oilers. Um, you know, my first ever hockey game that I remember watching, Mike Greer and George the yes. Rock were on the same team. A few years later, Anson Carter joined Carter. the team. And then, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think those late 90s, early 2000s Oilers teams, there were five black Joaquin players. Joaquin Gage, Sean Joaquin Brown. Gage, Sean Be- uh, wasn't Sean Bell? Sean Bell was there too, yeah. yeah. So there, there were a lot of guys. And then growing up in Detroit, we got CBC over in Windsor. So I saw Kevin Weeks for the first time. I saw Jerome Ginla for the first time. Um, I saw all of these players who look like me having success. And that was huge. I, I didn't have a lot of those positive black influences within the game of hockey to look up to. So every Saturday when I could, when I could see those guys on my TV, it let me know that there was a place for me and, and, and I belonged in the game of hockey. So for me to be able to be in this position, I think it's huge. I don't think anyone ever sets out to be the first, but if you find yourself in that position and, and when you are in that position, I, I think you owe it to not only the sport, I think you owe it to the culture, but I think you owe it to yourself to, to be that person that you never had. So, you know, there, there's going to be a third grade, you know, nine-year-old black kid growing up in Detroit or South Seattle or, or Edmonton or wherever the case may be, who may look on TV and say, man, hockey's not for me. This game isn't for me and I want to be the person to say well not so fast I mean you you belong your voice belongs and that goes for any historically underrepresented population that goes for black kids that goes for Hispanic kids South Asian kids um, women you know how many young girls are playing the game of hockey and they've been told that there's no place for them so I want to be that person that that can let that next generation of hockey fan player broadcaster whatever the case may be know there's a place for them and that they belong in this game it's such a powerful message everett how much have the kraken helped in terms of surrounding you with other people that 
you know, maybe are a little bit different compared to the other 31 teams in the NHL and building a more diverse employee and staff network and, and getting as many people involved as possible that may have been underrepresented previously to really build it from the ground up and say, look, this is how we're going to do things in our organization right from the start. It's huge. That is one of the pillars of our organization. And honestly, it's not about surrounding me with with those with those people. It's about doing things the right way. Um, you know, Todd Lewicki, our CEO, really has taken this head on. And, and he is someone who firmly believes in and fundamentally changing where we see the game going on a cultural and social level. Um, you know, again, like I said, growing up, I was told and I was shown that hockey wasn't a place for the young black kid from, from the city. And, and now to be able to work in an organization that fundamentally believes in, in women's voices, in black voices, in different religions and sexual orientations. It doesn't matter who you are. There's a place for you in the game. And, and, and I joke about it sometimes because, you know, I, I've had more black and minority coworkers uh, on meetings today than I've had in my entire career, period. And, and it's something that the Seattle Kraken, it's not, it's not a line for us. It's not the, the PR company position. It is something that we fundamentally believe in trying to change the face of the game. Uh, we're very active in the community here, especially in South Seattle and some of the other underrepresented communities in our, in our city and in our region. And we want people, we want those communities to come to our games. We want those communities to feel like they have a home, whether it's at Climate Pledge Arena, whether it's at KCI, our community ice plex, we want people to know that you belong within our organization and we embrace you, we welcome you, and, and going into an office every day where you see Black men and women, you see Asian men and women, Hispanic men and women, you see so many different backgrounds and so many different people all fighting toward the same goal. It's really, really inspiring and it makes it so much fun to go to work every day. Yeah, that's so awesome to hear and frankly so overdue for really the sport in general. And I'm hoping that the Kraken can help set the bar for how these other NHL teams begin to operate and process moving forward. Um, you know, I wanted to pivot back to something that you talked about previously, and, and it was some of the other minor league broadcasters that have pounded the pavement before you and, and worked their way up. I was wondering how some of those guys may have helped you get to this position that you're in now and how you may have leaned on them along the way. It's, it's, it's a, it's a tight, small fraternity as, as you guys know, I mean, I've heard the same story about John Cooper as the head coach of the Green Bay Gamblers in six different circles, right? Like everybody knows everybody else and you have to lean on each other. Um, and, and there were, you know, there were times when Jack Michaels was actually very instrumental uh, and almost, I almost landed a job with the Alaska Aces uh, in the ECHL thanks to Jack Michaels. Um, I emailed, I actually ran into him um, at the NHL draft when it was held in Jersey during the lockout year. And he gave me his card. We stuck, uh, we kept in touch and, and it was me and another guy. And, and Jack was very instrumental in helping me get uh, that position. Uh, John Walton from the 
Capitals. Um, he called me up one day and and said uh, the this summer that the Capitals won the Cup, uh, they beat in Vegas, and I want to say a month or so later, I get a phone call from Jack Michaels or, or from uh, John Walton, excuse me, and he said, uh, "Hey." Uh, preseason's coming up would you want to call the capitals bruins game our first preseason game in dc and and you know after i picked my jaw up off the floor i was absolutely so he, he gave me my first opportunity to do an nhl game so those guys have been very instrumental and when i got the job here in seattle when the news went public I got so many phone calls from broadcasters all over hockey, play-by-play guys, reporters, studio hosts. I had guys from the NBA, from uh, from Major League Baseball calling and, and, and Twitter DMing me and all of that to say that, you know, hey, welcome to, to, to the Big Four fraternity. Welcome to the NHL. So it was really, really nice to, to have that support and, and to be able to, to lean on these guys and, and to know that, as a broadcaster who's gone through the minor leagues and, and, you know, I'm 32 years old, but it, it feels weird to say that I, I've grown up as a hockey broadcaster listening to these guys. And now to call some of my favorite broadcasters, you know, from the time I was a freshman in college up until now to be able to call them my colleagues is, is, is so cool. It's so amazing. And, and so Everett, you also got an, uh, a, a ringing endorsement from the one and only Doc Emmerich. Is this yeah. true? Yeah, we uh, we fellow uh, we Bowling Green Falcons stick together. So uh, I, I, I'm not sure what was said uh, by the legend, Mr. D- Doc Emmerich, uh, Doctor Emmerich. But uh, I've been told that it was a glowing recommendation. Um, and and Todd Lewicki tells that story that you know I, I heard from Doc, and that's kind of all that I needed to go ahead and make that initial phone call. So um, you know, Doc's another one that uh, he reached out to me and and I actually had the opportunity to meet Doc and and work with Doc. Um, He came back to Bowling Green for an alumni weekend when I was in school. Uh, I thought I was going to interview him before a game and he actually comes up the stairs and joins me for the first period. So uh, Doc Emmerich was my color analyst for a period. So that's something that's definitely uh, one of the highlights of my career for sure. But uh, you know, Doc's another one. There there are a couple of us Bowling Green uh, alums out there. Evan Pivnik, who is in Adirondack at the ECHL, and he's done so much for Evan um, in terms of getting his resume and demo in front of people. So Doc's a guy that that has definitely helped me uh, knowingly and unknowingly. Um, Doc Emmerich has been, he's such a sweetheart of a guy, and, and, and he's, he's the best. He's the best when it comes to that kind of thing. So yeah, Doc gave me the recommendation. Um, I don't know what was said. I think it's better left unsaid. So in my mind, it's this, uh, you know, this magnanimous <laughs> speech that he gave and uh and and then dropped the mic and walked out so in my mind that's what happened <laughs> everett it's, it's pretty unique you know to be a play-by-play guy in the nhl but to be yeah. a play-by-play guy to be the first play-by-play guy of the seattle kraken on tv like you have the opportunity to you know to educate the fans now seattle's been a long time hockey market for you know obviously going thunderbirds it's unbelievable you know i remember back in the old barn man it was crazy i went there a few games uh when my brother was playing uh for portland and it was a gong show it was so fun um so you look at at, at calling the games and how do you what's the plan to, to try to mix in for the fans who are maybe saying hey you know what i want to learn hockey how do you bet because it might be a little bit different than maybe you know calling games at edmonton you know for, for the first time than it would be in seattle how do you balance that as a play-by-play guy what's going to be your approach 
Yeah, and I actually got a taste of that during the the preseason as well, and it worked. It worked pretty well. I, I treated our broadcasts almost as a hockey 101. Um, you know, if there were times when I could break, um, why was that play offsides? What is icing? That's the number one question that new hockey fans uh, want to know. What the heck is icing? Um, so explaining what that is, goaltender interference, some of the new rules, line changes, all of that kind of stuff. You can weave that into your storytelling. And I think it's huge. And, and I think for us, because like you mentioned, Jason, this is such a hockey market already. People that have people that say that Seattle and Washington isn't a hockey market. I mean, it's not an NHL market, but you've got, what, five, six Western Hockey League teams within four hours of the city. You've got the Vancouver Canucks up the road in which a lot of folks from Seattle have gone to Canucks games over the years and are now looking forward to having their own team that they can root for. So hockey is here. This is not an illiterate hockey town, but trying to educate a large casual fan base on some of the nuances of hockey um, has been has been fun. I'm not even going to say challenging because everybody here is so excited to learn and they're so excited for this team uh, to bring something new to the city of Seattle and, and to the, the state of Washington and the greater uh, Pacific Northwest region. So to be able to, to be that first voice and to help educate these fans on, on some of the subtleties of the game has been fun. Um, and, and I think our fans have really responded well to it um, in the preseason games and, and then in the first five uh, regular season games that have been done. You know, we've done a really good job of, of educating fans while also not, you know, doing it in a condescending or talking down kind of way. So uh, quickly, let's get to the Kraken on the ice. Yeah. Um, you know what? There, there was a lot of comparisons to Vegas, and I'm just yeah. not sure that's fair. Vegas is like the outlier of outliers when it comes mm. to expansion teams. But, you know, Yanni Gord now will come back in. He's healthy. Kind of give me your 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 evaluation of, of what you've seen early from the Kraken and, and maybe what you expect to come here now that they're home and what's going to be a rocking Saturday night. Yeah, you know, I think we still get the comparisons to Vegas, right? Uh, just because you know, that's the recent, uh, that was the new kid on the block until we showed up. So um, I, I think through these first five games, all of the questions that people had in the summer, I think still kind of are, are at the forefront. Where's the offense going to come from? You know, the, uh, that top line, that McCann, Everly, Schwartz line, everybody kind of went into the season thinking that that was going to be your top scoring uh, a line. Can Jordan Everly get back to the Edmonton Oiler Jordan Everly? With Schwartz and McCann now getting more minutes, can they find an off more of an offensive touch um, to their game? And, and I think it's only been five games. There's a lot of promise on this team. But I think trying to navigate your first five games, trying to navigate your franchise's infancy. I think Mark Giordano said it best the other day. There are people in this locker room who care and, and maybe they care to a fault because they're trying not to make mistakes. And I was at practice earlier today and you would think after coming home one, three and one, it would be kind of somber and melancholy. The guys were lively. They were jovial. They were laughing. They were smiling. They were having a good time. You can tell that these, these, these guys are playing for each other and it's right there. It is so close 
when it comes to trying to figure this out. And, and I think you have an opportunity with Vancouver and Montreal coming in, you know, two teams that are combined one, six and one, I believe uh, coming into Thursday's games, they've got their own struggles. You're home on home ice. You've got Vancouver who is going to probably be your rival. You've got the return of the Montreal Canadiens for the first time in over a hundred years to Seattle. So right there, your first two games, those storylines, those are some sexy storylines. And if I'm in that locker room, it's an opportunity for me to say, we're going to go out and get two wins. And I think Dave Haxtell's got complete belief and confidence in the lineup that he has. You did have a little bit of the COVID scare with Callie Yarncroft out. And then a few of the guys who were able to get back, you've got some injuries now, um, you know, just guys trying to find their way, but I, I, there's no panic in that locker room. And I think defensively, this team is still fine. Philip Grubauer, you know, he's the reigning Vesna trophy finalist for a reason. Um, and, and you now are putting a guy like Chris Drieger in, into a position where he can get number one minutes. You've got Joey Decord who played really well, uh, albeit in a losing effort the other night still played well. So I think there's still a lot of those questions that need to be answered from the summertime, but there's no panic. There's no panic around this team for sure. Yeah, and Everett, I mean, no panic also because someone had asked me to explain what I thought of the Kraken's initial road trip, and I kind of was like, it was like more or less like typical expansion franchise, and, and I don't mean that in any sort of demeaning way. It was like there were some really good things. There were some down moments, the loss in Philly, and then there was just some things that were just kind of average, and so I think you take that and you build off of it in your home opener. Uh, last one from me, and – you know, we'll play a little rapid fire, but I, I wanted to get your take quickly just on what we can expect from the environment on Saturday. The one thing, you know, obviously I'm looking forward to seeing Climate Pledge Arena. It sounds like such a special place. And from what I've seen so far, it looks awesome. Yeah. But I think back to what the Vegas Golden Knights, you know, and again, not to make the comparison, but the reason why I'm mentioning it is game presentation. They set the bar and Seattle, one of the first things they did, they went out and hired two of the big guns from the Vegas Golden Knights in that game presentation yeah. department to now come to Seattle and bring that to their building. What is one thing that you're looking forward to in terms of opening this new building and this new franchise? Man, I think for me, it's going to be our fans experiencing NHL hockey for the first time in a, in, a, in a very, very long time. And then also getting winter sports back since the, the Sonics left. I mean, this is a, a city, once Seahawks season is over, you got a couple of months of just, all right, well, now what? Mariners don't open up until uh, March. So uh, I, I don't know, what are we going to do here? The Blazers are down, down the street, I guess. But you now have a winter sport here in Seattle and fans are so excited about it. But as far as in the arena goes, that place is going to be loud. The amenities in that place is going to be, are, are going to be something that you've never seen before. I, I look at some of the, the brand new buildings in the NHL. You look at Vegas, you look at Edmonton, um, you look at a lot of those, those newer buildings in the league. And, and I think there's a little bit in, in all of them, obviously the, the new Islanders building as well out in Belmont, but 
the game presentation is going to be awesome. And, and just watching Johnny and Lamont um, walking around the office with their staff, the swagger, the confidence that they have, they know that they've put together an amazing presentation, the lights, the sounds, the visuals, um, the, the, what we're going to have on the ice and, and in the stands and in the crowd, this is going to be an experience that's going to start from if you're taking the monorail or public transportation to the game, it's going to start from the second you get on that monorail all the way to the game when you walk in the building, when you're at your seat, when you go get concessions, it's going to continue through the final horn, through the parking lot, through the plaza. When you get back on the monorail to go to your cars, this is a full experience for all five senses. And it's something that, you know, again, I haven't seen the staff. Ha we haven't gotten a preview. We're all going to be excited and surprised with our fans. And I think for me, I'm looking forward to this broadcast because I guarantee you there's going to be a couple of moments when, you know, you're looking around or our color analyst uh, is going to be saying something and I'm going to notice something out of the corner of my eye. And then I'm going to revert back to 12 year old fan Everett. And I'm going to be like, Whoa, that was, you see that? That was awesome. So um, I'm really looking forward uh, to just everything that we're going to have in this building and, and getting folks in there for the first time on Saturday. Awesome, Everett. Uh, I look forward to it. I pumped. I got center ice. I'll be watching it on uh, Saturday night. So uh, best of luck in your home opener in the regular season. Now, we always like to end with rapid fire. There's only one right. rule. You have to you have to answer the questions. All right. Yep. So uh, here we go. For a young Everett Fitzhugh, who was your team growing up? I was an Edmonton Oilers fan. Really? Yeah, because of Mike Greer and George okay. Barat. Okay. Growing up in Detroit, I mean, I, I always wanted the Wings to do well, but if I had a favorite team, it was the Edmonton Oilers. Okay. See, so when you first popped into the waiting room and you said that you listened to Jason on 1260 for the last number of years, I was like, oh, he's just being nice. That's so polite. But no, like you're like a legit Oiler fan. I'm, I, I am a legit. I, I listen to Dustin Nielsen in the morning every day for probably without fail six, seven years straight. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's awesome! Now, uh, well, so you were you were a fan for the decade of darkness. It wouldn't. It was not a. It was not a good time. Yeah, uh, I was that. there for 06 and and when when the Oilers made it to the the semifinal against uh, against Anaheim, man, that was that was one of the proudest moments as an Oiler fan for me to snap the snap the skid. Oh, okay, awesome. Now, um, do you have will will we have like a signature goal call? from Fitzhugh this year? You know, I, I, I'm not a kitschy guy. I, I'm not that guy that has like a, you know, a catchphrase or anything. Um, I have a power play goal call that I'll break out sometimes. And then I've got an overtime winner uh, goal call, but or uh, just a, a winning call. But other than that, you know, I, I, I've got a unique style, a lot of volume, a lot of energy, but you know, Mike Lang is one of the best and RJ yeah. up in Buffalo is one of the best. And those guys can do it like no other. And I'm like, if I even try to have a shtick or a catchphrase, I'm going to fall on my face. So I'm going to leave it to those guys. Um, but, but no, I don't really have like a, a catchphrase or anything. So when you were practicing before you actually called your first play-by-play -play game, 
Where did you, like, were you calling games on TV? Were you sitting in a corner of a rink with a little recorder? How did you hone your play-by-play skills? I did that. I did sit in the corner of the rink. I called games. I called some high school hockey play-by-play. Uh, but I actually, um, in the summertime, the summer before I got the uh, I got the job at Bowling Green, so I was going into uh, my first year, I actually turned on NHL 2003 and I put the computer against each other and uh, I, I muted Jim Houston uh, and I called video games um, really? just in the summer. I called video games. I probably did 20, 30 games that summer just trying to, to get get everything right and and and, and all that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's actually pretty cool, man. I, I like that idea. Beats my alternative. I started out just going to the rink, uh, minor hockey games, and sitting in a corner like an idiot, looking like you're talking to yourself. So uh, I think the, uh, well, the I've video done that game, too. Don't worry. <laughs> the video game would be a lot better. So now you're obviously a sports fan. So if you could call any sport other than hockey, not saying you will, what would be the sport you'd want to call? Oh man. Um, I would probably say baseball. Baseball is my favorite sport. I love baseball. Um, I, actually my love for baseball is why I don't work in baseball. I can still go to a game and, you know, have a hot dog, have a couple of beers and just sit and enjoy it. But, uh, if I had the opportunity to call a major league baseball game, that would be a lot of fun. How are your hockey playing skills? What hockey playing skills? Um, I learned how to skate when I was 22 years old. I took an extracurricular class my uh, my fifth year in college. So I didn't even learn how to skate until I was 22. Um, I've played two games of intramural uh, men's rec league hockey. I won seven face-offs uh, out of nine. I had one shot on goal um, and I'd never skated in equipment before. So by the time I got to the blue line, the play was already coming back. So I had to like Bambi leg it and slowly turn around. And then I got to the other blue line (laughs) and then here comes the play again. So I was dynamite in the neutral zone, um, but I never saw either offensive or defensive zone the entire game. Well, guess what, uh, Everett, now that you're a play-by-play guy for hockey, lots of teams have staff games, man. So you're, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to pick it up, and then in a few years we'll see. So if if Everett fits you though, did have ability of of a player, and you'll get in the future, who would you whose game would you want to have? Who is like your your ultimate player, forward or defenseman? Oh my goodness! So I mean, everyone loves the goal scores, but there is something to say about being responsible defensively. Um, if, if, if I had to pick a player who I would model my game after, I would probably go Jerome Aginla mixed with a little bit of, um, of Anson Carter. And you gotta, you gotta throw, um, Connor McDavid and Sidney Crosby in there. I mean, if I can score some goals, that'd be great. Uh, but I would love to, to be a good skater. Uh, I can hit and drop the gloves if I had to, but I, I would say, <laughs> Throw those four into one player, and then there you go. <laughs> well, I was looking at the I was looking at the size of your mitts. I, I definitely think you could hold your own if you have to get in the uh, in the fisticuff department. So, uh, so that leads me to one final one. Okay, who is the toughest Edmonton Oiler of all time? Oh my goodness! So you have to remember, I I didn't really start paying attention, and 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 watching hockey and getting to know players until probably 
maybe 97, 98. So the players that I I was on the tail end of like the Marty McSorley era, um, he's obviously one of them. Um, But for me, if you're asking players that I've seen, it's got to be George the Rock. It's got to be. That's that's the guy for me. You you could have a Royal Rumble of Dave Semenko. Okay. Marty McSorley. Dave Brown, who was an assassin, yeah. George Larac, and then Steve McIntyre might be one McIntyre, of the toughest guys. Another like, one, yeah. Those five guys, man, you put the orders five toughest guys against almost any other team's five oh, toughest. Yeah. It would be a, it would be a great Royal Rumble to see what happens. So George is definitely uh, uh, he's a very good. Saw, pick. Like being being from Philly, I'm insulted that you would even say that. Well, who are Philly's five, five toughest anyone? guys? Come on. Huh, who, who are okay, Phillies five tough? Well, Dave Brown Dave, played on both, though. He did. So let's start with Dave the Hammer Schultz. Then we can go with Dave Brown. Like, we had uh, maybe one of the most feared modern-day fighters, Jody Shelley. I mean, go, go through the list. Every era, Sandy McCart. There were tons and tons of tough guys that have come through Philly. Oh. I'd have to go back at uh, Sean Antosky. Like, I, I got to go through my entire childhood to start throwing <laughs> names at you because every year that I ever watched the Flyers growing up, they always had guys that could hold their own. Oh, and hey, I would put anyone from the Flyers organization up against the entire Oilers list. Well, Ooh. and also for me, for me growing up too, remember, I grew up in Detroit with the grind oh, Bob line. Probert. I, I had, I, you know, so Bob Probert at the beginning, Kosher. but then you had Kosher, you had McCarty, you had Maltby and Draper. Like, I, so that, that grind lined era of, of the Red Wings, that's another era of guys that I grew up watching. And, you know, LaPointe could, could hold his own. Shanahan obviously could hold his own. So th- there were a lot of guys in that, in that late nineties, early two thousands era, for sure. Well, many, many tough guys I've talked to said maybe the, the, the hardest puncher yeah. was Joey Kosher. Joey like Kosher. he, he could crush guys. Oh, yeah. Colton Orr is another guy for the Rangers because yes. Colton Orr, I remember Jason Strutt, like Colton Orr got mad one night when the boogeyman was a healthy scratch because he wanted to fight him. And Strutt was like, <laughs> are you kidding me right now? So it was crazy times, man. Uh, Everett, congratulations on the gig. We'll look forward to watching you uh, Saturday night, the yes. uh, home opener for the Kraken. Frank's going to be there live in person. And you know what? He gets a little nervous with fireworks. So hopefully you guys don't surprise him too much. <laughs> Well, hey, yeah, fellas, Everett, this is a lot of fun. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, looking forward to meeting you, and, and congrats on all your success. Can't wait to listen. Thanks, guys, so much. Looking forward to seeing you guys in person, and let me know what you think about Seattle. I can't wait to to have to get the opinions. Of, oh, of what I love the city, man. I've been there many times. I can't wait to come again. It's one of my wife's favorite, so it's an easy sell for me to go to a road trip in Seattle. There you go. <laughs> Everett fits you, man. I love his passion for the game. He's a diehard sports fan. I love fans who live in one city and then they're a fan of another team. Like I grew up in Edmonton. I was a huge Hartford Whaler fan, huge Whaler fan. See, I, I, I commend it and I, I like it, but it doesn't make any sense to me. Like my head would always explode being from Philly, being like, you're a fan of the Mets. Like what? Yeah. Or like whatever team or like, get out of here. Like you're from Philly, root for a Philly team or get out. That's yeah, just I like just, my my own insular Philly thing. So I it it blows my mind, but I I could hearing how Everett got into hockey and and then also you know the reason behind it. Yes. Uh, you know you he hit it on the head. You look for someone that looks like you, some some path forward for you 
and that welcomes you into that space, whether it's sports or whatever it is. And, you know, whether the Oilers knew it or not, that was really powerful oh. in the late 90s. Well, I don't know if you've seen that. There was a documentary. They had all of them on recently uh, talking about that time. And I know walking Gage, I know Gage really well. Like he's really proud of being on that team. Like that was, that was really life changing. He's met so many, uh, you know, black people over time that said, I was a huge fan of the orders just because of that. Like it gave me someone. And so, you know what? I'm sure Mike Greer would, uh, would love to hear that story uh, from Everett as to why, you know, I became an order fan basically because of you and George Larac. And then, you know, obviously he liked the team, but it, that's super important. And I think that's something that, uh, you know, we're going to see more and more in, uh, in the NHL moving forward. And that's fantastic. And uh, Everett, of course, was our big guest brought to you by ESPN Plus. Now, before we get to uh, Tyler, Frank, you had the story. Tell me about this uh, Pat Lafontaine daughter show, because I got to oh. I got to see this now. Yeah, so it's it's unbelievable. It's called a love story, and it's um, the long and short of it. I, I don't want to give too much away, but Pat Lafontaine is is part of the documentary. It's like 35, 40 minutes, and basically his daughter uh, meets this you know unbelievable um, you know successful you know teacher and um, you know phenomenal high school athlete that she falls in love with and it's it's tragic in a lot of ways so uh a true just it, honestly i can't even explain the emotions that i felt watching that that doc that that e60 it's it's powerful um and i, I don't want to give it away but just it, it's Go 35 it. or 40 minutes really well spent i watched it the first time couldn't couldn't stop crying watched it again and it was like waterworks all over again so oh man um, the, there's the like there is it's it's so good yeah the 30 for and 30 I, I wish there was East a happy 60. ending to it but there yeah. there isn't um and, and so randell mccoy you'll you'll meet him in in the dock and it's just sad but um it's also uplifting at the same time the the bond and and love that these two people share no, hey man, uh, if it if it gets the emotions from you, it's great. Uh, a little bit of a tearjerker is never bad for anyone. Uh, I love it. Um, let's welcome in Tyler Uremchuk for another uh, rip roaring edition of Buy or Sell. Yeah, won't be any uh, tears flowing after Buy or Sell. Just hard hitting questions coming at uh, at both of you here. I was gonna say maybe some for, maybe some for you if I bust your questions again. <laughs> Uh, as always, buy or sell is brought to you by our friends at DoorDash, where you can use the promo code RUNDOWNDD. Gets you 25% off, no delivery fees on your first order. Let's dig right into it. Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisettle off to a fire start. I say they will be the first teammates since Lemieux and Yager to each score 50 goals in the same season. Frank, you buying or selling? Buy. I said uh, McDavid is a 150-point player this season. To think if he gets there, he's got to have 50 goals, I would imagine. Dreisaitl's already been there. McDavid's knocked on the door previously. I think his career high is, what, 44? Is that right? Mm -hmm. 44, 41, something like that. He's been close. Uh, it's been a point of emphasis for him to score more goals, and I, uh, I see no reason why they can't get there together. God, I'm the I love offense, but my uh, my preseason prediction had McDavid getting 50 for the first time and uh, Drysaddle finishing with 47. So I will uh, stick with that. I would love to see it, man, because yeah. 50 is so hard. Teammates to do 50? You kidding me? Be great, but I don't think it happens. I was saying, imagine the building if they were to get it on the same night. How how crazy that would be. Uh, anyways, speaking of hot starts, Steven Stamkos is doing some really good stuff through a handful of games for the Lightning. 
I'm saying it's all because of that Olympic team, and I'm saying it's enough for him to get on. Jason, you buying or selling Stamkos as an Olympian? Well, the motivation is definitely there. He's talked openly about it. Uh, I, I would agree with it. Is it enough to get on the team, man? The Canadian Olympic team is so deep. So I, when I did my mock at the start, I don't think I had him on the team. But it's all going to be about who's playing hot going into it right? It's, mm -hmm. it's kind of different. You know, there's no camp, there's no line combinations where these guys had chemistry. Um, maybe it helps him because him and, you know, point might play together more without Kucherov. So, you know what, I'm, I'm still going to sell though. I'm going to say, no, he doesn't get on. I'm going to buy. Um, I, it's such a motivating factor. You know, I've mentioned it before. Tyler and I talked to him about this in Chicago at the player media tour. He doesn't hold back in saying it. And Here's the cool thing about the Olympics and Steve Greeley actually posted his mock Canadian Olympic team on dailyfaceoff.com today. And he has Steven Stamkos on it. The cool thing about it is that it's sort of a living, breathing list. Like we're going to keep updating that story as the season goes on, just like team Canada will be leading to the roster selections in early January. And I think at this moment he's on, um, and, you know, I just have a hard time believing there's that many more players that are more talented than Steven Stamkos with what he brings, the way he digs in. Um, you know, I, I think you can use him anywhere in your lineup. He's not one of those guys that you're like, oh, he has to play in the top six or he's not valuable. He yeah. brings other things to the team that I think will enable him to, to make the cut. And being on two Stanley Cup winners doesn't hurt. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of hot starts, St. Louis Blues, one of the undefeated teams still remaining in the NHL. I'm going to say, like, I'm loving them off this hot start. Like, I've been blown away with how good their forward group has been. I'm going to say they not only make the playoffs, but they have home ice advantage in round one. Frank, you buying or selling the Blues? I'm selling. Um, I think they're off to a hot start. Um, they're going to catch a little bit of adversity now. Brandon Sod's the first guy out with COVID. Um, I don't know. I'm just not – I'm not a Bennington guy. Um I think he's been entirely average the last couple of years. And I, I don't, when I look at their offense, I don't know how sustainable it is. And I, and I'm still not entirely sold on their top six. Uh, their, their six defensemen. Uh, I'm going to sell. I, I had the blues making the playoffs. They, I had them being the fifth team in from the central and I'll stick with that. Well, I don't know how many more games we're going to get three on O's from the, from the blue line in what the hell's going on with Vegas's defense. in that one, that was amazing to me, but I will also uh, sell. I, I think uh home ice advantage is going to be pretty tough in the central. And I, I don't know if uh, they're going to be, they're going to be the top two teams. Those are some hot starts on the other side of things. A couple of slow starts, the Blackhawks and Montreal Canadians, both brutal to start the year. I'm going to say neither of them turn it around and they will, their slow starts have sunk them. Habs and Hawks, both out of the playoffs. Jason, you buying or selling? Well, I have to sell only because I picked the Hawks to make the playoffs, and it's only been the first week. I can't I can't uh, screw myself already. So um, I'll say no. The, the Canadians, I didn't pick to make the playoffs. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. They just can't score any goals. Um, the Hawks, um, they got to they got to get a turnaround defensively here, big time. So uh, to get going, I still have faith. Uh, maybe it's just all the new faces before they gel. But uh, I, I still I'm holding out hope that Chicago that the Chicago Blackhawks will make my prediction look good. You know, I I wanna I, I don't want to bail on the the Habs yet. I I didn't see the Hawks from the beginning. 
but I had the Habs as a team that was going to get close knocking on the door to the playoffs. And maybe that still happens. Uh, I was saying all along in the preseason, I didn't think they were going to be as bad as everyone thought. And here they are, you know, their pre- their GM holding a press conference a few days into the season to try and calm things down. Um, <laughs> I just don't know that I see it. I, I you know, it's been easier than ever. Uh, these last couple of years, it used to be if you're, out of the playoffs by Canadian or the, by U.S. Thanksgiving, excuse me, that you have no chance to get your play your way back in based on the way the standings work. There's been a number of teams that have done it these last couple of years. I just don't see either the Habs or the Hawks having enough uh, skill and or talent to do so. All right. I reached out to our friend uh, Dan from Hockey Fights for this last one. We're dropping the mitts for the final question of buy or sell. Last season, 56 game shortened season, we had 196 fighting majors. I prorated that. It works out. That would have been about 296 over an 82 game season. I'm going to say we get 300 fighting majors this year. We already got 17, not counting Thursday night's games. Players seem fired up now that all the crowds are full and things are back to normal. So I think fighting will be on the uptick for once this year. 300 fighting majors. Frankie buying or selling? Selling. I think it's easy to have it at the start. Everyone's emotional. As you mentioned, the the buildings are packed. And I don't know, we've already seen some attendance dips in a number of markets, five or 6,000 short in Montreal. I Not to say that it's not going to be a fun atmosphere in certain places, because it will. A lot of the U.S. markets are sold out. I just think that that isn't sustainable, that same kind of emotion. And my guess is we end up somewhere around 275, 280, um, and just a slight downturn. Fight, 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 fight. No, I'm joking. But yeah, I believe it will be uh, over 300 this year. I, I just think the the emotion there, there's more rivalries. I, I think there's going to be a lot of teams still in the mix come uh, down the stretch and, 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 and players are going to be, you know, there's going to be a few more of those tilts from the, the non-usual candidates, which, uh, which to me makes it exciting. So I will say 300 plus. There you go. Those are your five for buy or sell another stirring rendition of it brought to you by DoorDash. Awesome. Well, Frank, uh, unique. You're on the road in Seattle. Uh, have fun at the uh, season opener on Saturday night. Uh, it'll be a great time, and uh, we look forward to uh, to the pod on Monday. Uh, tell me what the best food in in the arena is. That that's your reporting job for the weekend. Is what is the go to at the Seattle Kraken Arena? You can't you can't ask me about the arena. I don't eat a lot of arena food. I I, I can tell you all about the Seattle food scene though probably by sure. Monday because look at Perfect. me. I mean, I I dig in. Well, you got to try something, at least one thing at the arena. Oh, okay, I'll, I'll report yeah. back. You can try one. That's fair. Okay. I love it, man. Have a great weekend. Enjoy Seattle. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Cervalli and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.